0: I didn't have to know what I thought I needed to know. Some secrets are best
1: left hey up Welcome to back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And today I have two very special guests who have been avoiding me uh, in terms of coming onto the podcast uh, to talk about the Premier League. I have Tyler Fern and Hejun Chung back on the podcast. Uh, As we talk about the English Premier League. Guys, welcome back. And the reason why you guys are avoiding me is, let's just get this out of the way, is because Liverpool are now champions and I can kind of gloat and be on uh, on the, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, on the throne, I guess, right now. So um, I just wanted to get that out of the way so they won't have to hear me drone on and on about it throughout the podcast. You you guys might hear it here and there. uh, A couple snide comments every now and then when uh, they talk about Manchester United. But guys, welcome back onto the
2: pod. Hey man. It's good to be back.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, guys. So um, one of the first things that I wanted to talk about um besides liverpool because i think that's kind of already been talked about to death in terms of um all I the accompli- <laughs> yeah all the accomplishments <laughs> that liverpool has uh basically achieved throughout uh this season and hopefully they're able to finish out strong and they've kind of had a couple struggles uh since the restart has happened um is kind of the focus on this really interesting top four race uh, for Europe. And I just wanted to set up, um, I guess, all the scenarios that are happening right now. Um, So we're recording this on a Tuesday night Eastern time, and it's Chelsea ended up having their game during the 36th, uh, during game week thirty-six. Um, and they beat Norwich 1-0 today to go to 63 points, and they're sitting in third place. Um, Leicester City is sitting in fourth place with 59 points. Manchester United is at 59 points, um, and the only thing that's separating those two teams is goal differential. So, guys, looking at those three teams, and also one of the things that um, I, I have to mention, too, is yesterday Manchester City uh, they were their future was hanging in the balance with Europe um, and whether or not their two-year ban would be upheld and it fortunately for them was overturned and they will be allowed to perform and um, participate in uh, European competitions next year, meaning that it's that they've cemented their spot. In the champions league for next year so guys what is your feeling with all with that long setup in terms of how this top four is shaping out
2: um to end the season well i think um in terms of the top four i think man united is still um more likely to get in over lester uh, based on remaining schedule and also the fact that there's that head-to-head match in the last um, game of of the season for both teams is is facing off against each other. And with the form that United's been in and the form that Leicester have been in, it just seems like man United are the slight favorites there. Um, But it looks like with the way that the results happened last round and then Chelsea picking up their win again, they also have a difficult schedule, but I think they're pretty much locked in. If I had to guess, um and I think it's it's Man United making it over Leicester. Got it. Hedgen, do
1: you have any thoughts in terms of uh who would who's gonna be taking those last two Champions League spots between Chelsea, Leicester, Manu? And Wolves realistically still has a chance. Um they still play Chelsea to end the year. They have Burnley and I believe they um let me see, their second to last game is against Crystal Palace. So it is conceivable that they can win all three of those games uh, to sneak into the fourth spot. But, Hajin, who who do you have in those last two Champions League spots?
0: Uh, I mean, I think it's going to... So I I foresee Chelsea losing out to Liverpool. Okay. So if United can obviously win over Crystal Palace, And I take the win against Leicester for the final game of the season. I think we could even be looking at their place.
2: But I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think it's really going to come down to the last game of the season for, for, for United and and Leicester just because of that last game. So that's going to be, I think the game that I'm going to be tuning in, uh, like, no matter what.
1: Yeah, and it's actually kind of interesting that you guys have pointed that last fixture out in game week 38. Uh, What's fascinating also is if Wolves, Wolves actually ends up playing Chelsea to end the season as well. So could you imagine a scenario if during those two fixtures, whoever wins those games is is going to Europe? That would kind of just be an amazing... Uh, way to end game week 38 and end the season um, just with all that drama uh,
2: trying to secure those European spots. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to watch even teams like Sheffield United and also Spurs and Arsenal battle it out to see how everybody ends up in the table at the end because there's only a few points between, um, you know, all the way down to 10th. Um, all the way up to fourth and third. So a lot could still change before the end of the season.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, when kind of, what were your thoughts about just like hearing the news with Manchester city kind of securing their place for next season um, in Europe, because it would have just set up for a, a lot more interesting um, end of the season um Kind of rundown because of where Wolves and Sheffield were were sitting at, and they would have had more of a realistic chance at possibly playing in the Champions League, which I think we're a little bit robbed of now because City
2: is now eligible for the Champions League. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating seeing the actual um, fines and punishment get reversed, um, the whole thing is just, it's so frustrating, I think, for a lot of fans and other teams, um, because what you've seen is the rise of of Man City over the past decade or so after the huge amounts of investment. Then the reasoning that this basically was overturned had to do with, like, uh, the accusations being too, um, too old, like too far in the past. And then like the evidence not being completely conclusive um, to hold up against this appeal that that city did. So it's not even like they're saying that, oh, yeah, they didn't actually break the rules or anything. They're just saying that, well, this is so long ago that we decided to just find them 10, 10, mil and say that's that, which we all know is obviously nothing for a club like Man City. So the whole thing is just very frustrating because it just seems like they're they're using their their monetary advantage to to uh, avoid playing by the rules like the rest of the teams.
1: Yeah, Hedger, do you have any thoughts on that as well?
2: I mean, you know, they lobbed the shit out of uh,
0: you. Know, <laughs> right. Though. It's
2: so like that's that is it's no question so frustrating. That. I can only imagine if I, you know, were a Wolves or Sheffield supporter, like how close it actually was to to being reachable to get in the Champions League. And that's almost, you know, once in a lifetime kind of thing for one of those clubs. Um, So, yeah, you hate to see it come down like this. Yeah,
1: and I, I think that's kind of, I was hoping that City wouldn't have a chance or even just get reduced to one year just so we could, it sets up this really exciting race Um, to end the season and seeing if Wolves can sneak in there um, or Sheffield could sneak in there for that last Champions League spot would have been extremely exciting. But with all the stuff happening and the way it went down, we still have a really good um, end of season race. And I'm really excited to watch what happens. So for me, I kind of see I, I actually see Man U getting one of the spots. Leicester's form has looked extremely shaky, and by no means do does their form kind of indicate that there's going to be any positive results coming out of the last three games. They still have some pretty tough games. They have Sheffield, then Tottenham, then Man U to finish out the season. So those are three... Top half teams that are all chasing for European spots, basically. So
2: it's. And it's, they're yep. also missing three of their starting four defenders now for the rest of the right. season, basically. So yeah, there's Pico. that with Soyuncu on, on uh-huh. the red card and then Chilwell and Pereira injured. So, th- yeah, that's, that's going to be difficult for them to keep up any kind of results against that kind of opposition.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's it's if if they can get to striking distance in terms of the last two last game against Manchester United where basically whoever wins that game is in i think that's all that they can hope for at this point um just with the the form that they are in um currently and with all the injuries that you alluded to with the red card that Soyuncu and Soyun-Chi ended up getting um in the last game and I mean, talking about that last game, like we were texting back and forth in our group chat and basically it was one zip uh Lester. And we we're like, okay, it seems like Lester is going to kind of uh be in the lead going into game week 36. And then all of a sudden, once that red card ended up happening, four goals go in for Bournemouth and you're just like, okay, this team that's fighting for, um, like to stay up and avoid relegation uh, is basically pouring in goals against the top four team right now. And it kind of just like came out of nowhere and blew my mind. Um, So I'm sure that was a welcome gift uh, for you guys. Also, like before Chelsea ended up winning today, they ended up losing uh, three zip to Sheffield. So a lot of good things were happening for Manchester United. Um, until they ended up drawing against Southampton. So I actually wanted to talk to Tyler about uh, this game because there was a lot They're coming into this game. They were flying high. There were a lot of good results that ended up happening. There's this high powered offense and a bevy of attacking options that Manchester United had. Um, and, it seems like always kind of figured out how to set this team up uh, with uh, a lineup that he hasn't changed in, I believe like six or seven games or, or since the, since the
0: restart, I think basically.
1: it's
2: five, I think it's five, five games in a row with in the premier league with the exact same uh, right, starting right. 11 now. Yeah.
1: So what, what were your thoughts kind of like maybe if we took this conversation a week ago before
2: the Southampton yeah. game
1: and then kind of like how how your feelings sit right
2: now. Well, um you know, obviously I was very frustrated because you know, you start to get that feeling when uh you see the results at Leicester and Chelsea and you start to think this is a little too good to be true, like Something bad is going to happen um, because it can't just keep going all going United's way. And then obviously the Southampton game, you know, a draw is still a point. Um, but in the context of the run that that they've been on, it does feel like a definite opportunity miss. Um, but however, I do have to try to keep it in perspective that that you know a draw, random draw in the 96th minute. That that does happen. We're still on a run of 18 games unbeaten, which is just insane. When you think about the squad over the past seven to 10 years, um, the fact that we're we're hitting these highs uh, right now with the the amount of young people involved in the lineup and just all of our front three scoring, it's just been such a relief and breath of fresh air to watch this sort of the Solshar's plan to finally come together, um, but that totally. said, some, some of the issues that are still kind of creeping up. I think um, what you were talking about naming the same the same starting lineup with the games coming so fast as they are in this random like unprecedented time that you know no one's had um, experience with before. Um, I I think he should have uh, started changing things slightly, even if it was, you know, change a couple of guys at halftime um, or, or, you know, put on a couple of different guys like James or Igalo and let them play the first 45 and then put on, you know, some of the other more regular starters just to get some fresher legs. Because I think in the Southampton game, it was really evident that some, some of the players were starting to get a little tired. Um, and then the other main thing is I still don't like Martial as the main number nine in this lineup because not only are there far better finishers all around him basically. Um, but he just, I think he can still be immensely helpful on the wing. And so move a Greenwood or Rashford or Igalo up to the central spot. And I think we'll get even better results and be more efficient in front of goal. Um, and that's just one thing that, you know, I I definitely noticed in the Southampton game a lot of missed chances that, that could have made could have made this pod very different had they gone our way.
0: I will <laughs> totally. say one thing yeah. though. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but I had criticized Marshall about his lack of defensive um, I guess, commitment that's true but you see him being more lively trying to track back a little bit more movement from him and i think that's been tremendous uh he's been a big influence uh you know these last few games and the way that the way he moves and the way he's willing to you know commit off the ball and and on the ball is, is i think a stark contrast from like a couple of seasons ago when he was just not even tracking back at all so uh good to see him you know I don't know what Solchar did to sort of uh you know motivate him like that but it's really good to see him you know uh being more responsible on the pitch
1: yeah and I think that's kind of probably what always um reasoning is in terms of possibly putting Martial up top in terms of the defensive work rate not being as high from him. So he won't hurt them defensively from that spot up top as the lone striker in comparison to if he's out on the wing and doesn't track back on one of the outside fullbacks, um, where I think it could be a little bit more dangerous and deadly if he has lapses in concentration defensively. Um, So I think that's probably from the soccer side of things, maybe Ole's thinking as to why he might place him up top in comparison to Greenwood or Rashford. Um, But I did want to give the listeners a behind-the-scenes story um, because we had actually planned on recording this podcast yesterday. And I was like – and we we had pretty much set it up like – a day before like hey we're good for monday we're good for monday right and you know everyone was checking out and we're like okay we're good we're good as soon as the game happens and the goal goes in in the 96th minute i'm watching this elated but also kind of like a little bit worried that the podcast wouldn't be happening just because um maybe hedging or Tyler wouldn't be up for it be, with them being Man U fans and them being devastated with a, a last minute draw. And, you know, I was kind of right because I was, I, I text them kind of like cheekily, like, Hey, we're still good for eight. Right. And it's just like crickets didn't get really any responses until being like, Hey, are we still good for eight? Like trying to confirm. And they're like, yeah, let's just push it back one day. I need to cool off. So that, so that was pretty much the responses that I got uh, from Tyler um, in terms of <laughs> needing to recollect. There might have been a little bit more profanity involved in the podcast, so he saved us from that. But just wanted to give you guys that story. But, regard like with all the stuff that ended up happening, like let's say the goal doesn't go in. I think even some of the criticisms of how Ole has kind of managed the team in terms of, you know, having that same starting lineup but five straight times in the Premier League, like it, it's really tough to criticize with the 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 results that they've gotten in the last four preceding the the Southampton game. Like just looking at their their results. 3-zip against Sheffield, 3-zip against uh, Brighton-Hove-Albion, 5-2 against Bournemouth, 3-zip against Aston Villa. So, like, even before that, this team has been, like, on a roll. And I I think Tyler shared this stat with me or this kind of, like, interesting fact where, man, you has scored or has more points than Liverpool or something like that since the start of the year or something like that. Some crazy stat which is kind of unfathomable to think about with uh Liverpool's like crazy run of games that they've had.
2: Yeah, I've got a couple of good stats for you. Um <laughs> the uh I think the one I sent you was about the the forwards though, the front three, how yeah. um Martial, Rashford and Greenwood have combined for more goals uh, this year than Salah, Firmino and Mane. It was like 55 to 51 or something a week or so ago. Um, But the other crazy one is that run of four games you just mentioned in the Premier League. That was the first time in Premier League history a team has ever won four games in a row by a margin of at least three goals. Wow. That was also (laughs) record-breaking. But, yeah, I mean, obviously the results were going amazing. We were flying. And then my point is just that, you know, that was in a span of, like, two and a half weeks. So at some point you got to expect like players are going to start getting injured or like going to start performing a little bit badly eventually. So I think it's obviously a difficult decision, but I think we do need a little bit of rotation now.
1: Right. Right. So I actually kind of wanted to shift focus on not not just the, uh, the end of this season, but kind of looking forward to next season a little bit with Manchester United and, how you guys see them in terms of how, how to improve the squad and how to improve uh, the team um, with transfers, especially with how good Manchester United has looked going forward. Um, is there a need to kind of tinker with the squad, especially with the way they've looked coming back from the restart? Or do they need some type of depth anywhere to kind of talk about um, to kind of improve the squad. Like I had uh, my friend Daniel on last week, who's also a Manchester United fan. And he kind of talked about how there's a lot of different players floating out there. Uh, one obviously being Jaden Sancho, who it would play on the right wing for, for uh man. U. Um if he's brought in Jack Relish, his name's been thrown out there. Um, I believe um, Dembele from Lyon has been thrown out there as number nine. Um, Are there like any parts of the squad that you guys want to improve as Manchester United fans and maybe what uh, parts could um, use
2: extra depth on the team? Yeah, I think going back to kind of what I was saying earlier, I I would love to see – a more traditional number nine. Olivier um, Giroud. Somebody, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I somebody a little bit younger. I support it. <laughs> I, I would love somebody like uh, Raul Jimenez from Wolves. I just think that would be awesome um, to have somebody who's a bit more of a target man up there um, instead of kind of like a converted winger. Um, just because I think with the speed that we do have now on the wings, With like the likes of James, Rashford, Greenwood, Martial, um, having somebody to just play little one-twos off of or to send um, a lofted ball up for a header, I just think that would make us a lot more lethal going forward. So I'm actually, I've heard some people talk about this now, and I don't know if this is too, um, this is like a snap judgment, but I almost don't feel the need to go for sancho right now which Mm. is i you know if i would have said this six months ago i would have been like what are you talking about but um i just feel like we've got a lot of really good wingers that i just you know listed off and if we are able to to grow them they're all still young guys i think the oldest is Martial who's like 23 or something um and like that they could be you know four wingers deep for the next five to even, you know, eight years or something for, you know, Greenwood. Um, so I don't know. I I'm more focused now on a, on a number nine. What about you? Hedgin?
0: Um, I agree for a more traditional striker. Um, <laughs> you know how I, feel about <laughs> I just think <laughs> that, that's
2: kind of a waste of money. <laughs> well,
0: no, I think he'll be great off the bench. Um, Maybe not like a solid starter, <laughs> but... Yeah, but Igalo is, what, done in January of 2021?
2: Or did he extend? Yeah, I think for now it's till January. And yeah. I don't think he's going to be
1: re- re-upping with Manchester United from everything right. that they've been reading.
0: Yeah. So we do need a little bit more depth there, but also I think we do need to think about our fullback depth. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh I mean we got Luke Shaw, we got who else on the left back? Uh um, Brandon Williams, Williams, who's the young young kid yeah, well, who looks yeah, pretty that, good for them. But you know, it's like young guys with a little bit less experience, we got Dello. Um and I just think we just need a little bit more experience from the fullback side. I mean, it's exciting to see younger guys play and, you know, they got more energy and they, they can contribute to attacking more, but I do feel like we do need a little bit more depth there. Um, and what about probably, um,
2: center back? Probably
0: another Yeah, probably another center yeah. back. I mean, uh, Maguire has been good. Lindelof has been... I, I like Lindelof uh personally. But I do, too. I do think yeah, either we need a more solid backup. Um Bailly is healthy now, but who knows when he's gonna go down with another knee injury. Um mm-hmm. and we're trying to get rid of Rojo. Or did he, yeah, apparently did he he's ever like come like been back?
2: in Argentina ever since yeah, break, he, has, he never he's never come back. Yeah. No. Um and small and so I, I like that Roma.
0: Yeah, I, I like the idea of Koulibaly from Napoli. Um, I know it's been floating around for a while now, but I, I think if we were to sign someone like him, we'd be in a great spot as for center backs. Um, but I think for the midfield, we are pretty, we're pretty pretty set. Wingers, yeah, I agree that we don't really need Sancho. Um, maybe Grealish, you know, he's he can play multiple um, positions, um, so maybe that could be a good signing for us. Maybe off the bench, but I don't I don't see any need to sign any other another winger like Stanchione, like with, money
2: like that. With somebody like Graylish, I wonder if he would be a realistic target at this point, um, because of the playing time that he would probably be getting. Would like you said, would probably be more of a, a bench player as opposed to a starter. Um, I don't know. I mean, if Villa go down, that might be a good option, but I don't know. I don't know if he's the type of player to be on the bench. You know, he's captaining Villa as it is. I mean,
0: he's, if Aston Villa does go down, I don't, I don't think, I don't see him staying. Um, He's got talent. You know, he's, he's been getting a lot of attention. Yeah. Do you think somebody was him up? Um, Maybe it won't be Man U. Maybe it will be someone like a small market team like Everton or I don't know. uh, I guess, yeah,
2: my point is if she has the option between riding the bench at Man United or starting at, yeah, Everton, for example, or something like that, Mm -hmm. don't you think he would probably be more the type of player to go start and play every day?
0: Yeah, for sure. I agree.
2: That's that's how I feel, yeah. No, I think,
1: Um, yeah, I mean – I'm not exactly sure if it would make sense from the player side, from Grealish's side, but from the team perspective, I think Man U would take him. I mean, like, if he's yeah. one of your backup center midfielders, then, like, That's great. you're taking yeah. that all day um, as a young like a young uh, English center midfielder. There, there are, like, a couple. I think the one thing that, as an outsider looking in, the one – Thing even the one thing I would want is like that rock solid center back next to McGuire um, just because there's a couple instances, you know, preceding this hot run that man you had where you just kind of felt they would let in like the, that goal, that odd goal. Maybe it was De Gea's fault, but it seemed like, if they shored up the back line a little bit, then it would really round out the team. And maybe, the, maybe I'm just kind of looking looking at it from a recency bias standpoint, where this offense is really firing at this point. So maybe they can not they don't have to look um, offensively as much, just because with Pogba back uh, paired with. Bruno know Fernandez they've really looked extremely good going forward but that that second center back position next to Maguire seems like they need to shore that up and like Koulibaly I think for them would really be I would pretty I'd be pretty like terrified if that ended up happening um as a Liverpool fan plus like if they were if if they were able to get like a really good like, center forward, which, ironically, like, Bukaku would have kind of fit the bill there. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, like...
2: I was was thinking about that earlier, too. It's kind of ironic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just to, like, switch things up in terms of the way they played. Um, Maybe, and maybe, I think, just like, I kind of pointed this out to you, Tyler, in a text, but I think what Ole kind of sees out of his front three players is kind of like he really wants to compact the field and really press, starting from that lead striker, starting his defensive positioning um, and putting pressure on the ball. And I don't know if Lukaku had the defensive output to be able to do that for Manchester United, and I think that's ultimately one of the reasons why they let him go, go, um, because his goal-scoring output was fairly decent um yeah. and wasn't like it wasn't like terrible or anything like that it just seemed like he wasn't really in the plans in terms of how Ole wanted to play and it seems like yeah. Ole really values that versatility amongst his front 3 in ter- in terms of them being interchangeable and um like being very versatile in the way they play and i think that's yeah. kind of the reason why a lot of the there's a lot of smoke in terms of Sancho going to Manu because he really fits in with that versatile scheme that Ole has in mind.
2: Yeah, there's definitely, especially since the restart. Um, you if you watch the front three, especially as the game goes on, you'll see them just completely rotating with looping runs in and out of you know those three positions up there. So that's definitely something that they're working on. Um, but, yeah, I, my my dream for, like, a Jimenez-type striker up there might not really be in the cards um, based on the, the tactics that Ollie's working with, but I, I could still dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, as crazy as this sounds in terms of, like, kind of siding with Heijun in terms of looking for a backup nine in the mold of Giroud, which, like... Yeah like wouldn't be terrible for them just to kind of like switch things up if they're chasing a game ever and they need to like get a little bit desperate and be more direct Um, because the way Giroud's been playing for Chelsea and it looks like he's going to be pushed out of Chelsea just because they've brought in Timo Werner and um um Zayic from Ajax who – You know, they
0: steal, by the way. Yeah.
1: Those, I mean, both of those moves were steals for Chelsea. And I think Giroud's kind of getting pushed out. He ended up scoring the lone goal today against uh, Norwich for Chelsea. Um, The way that they've played with Giroud in comparison to Tammy Abraham is completely different in terms of the, in terms of how direct they are when Giroud's on the pitch in comparison to someone like Abraham. So I, I, I think someone like Giroud could be a positive, like sub um, type of player for Manchester United.
2: Yeah. My biggest argument against is, I'm, I guess I'm more in agreement when you put it that way, because I just don't want us to pay hardly any money for him in a transfer and I don't want him starting every game for us so yeah I mean if if he would just be an option off the bench and something like a free transfer then sure let's do it
1: (laughs) yeah and I think even just kind of like maybe transitioning a little bit and talking about Chelsea and the way they've played and I mean we have this connection here um all three of us being U.S. men's national team fans is that Christian Pulisic has kind of lit it up for for Chelsea and I know the American has lit it up for Chelsea and the way he's like since the restart has played amazingly well scoring goals having end product as Frank Lampard likes to say it um, um in comparison to earlier in the season where he struggled to gain his place in the squad um It seems like he's one of the first names in the starting 11 now for Chelsea um, from game to game. I don't know if you guys have been able to catch any of his highlights or any of the Chelsea games, but give me your guys' impression on Chelsea as a whole, um, Pulisic, and where does it go from there in terms of moving forward with Werner and Zayic coming into the squad? And how does Pulisic get lost um, in the deep squad that Chelsea is building? I
2: think and I hope that he's sort of earned his starting spot going into next season at this point. Um, I think he was in an awkward position at the beginning of the season where Chelsea was going through so much change and turnover. And Frank was there with you know, his new ideas. And um, it seems like there was just an extended kind of settling period for him uh, for Pulisic. Um, But whatever happened during the break, um, whether it was, I don't know if it was some more man management or just training or what, but he has looked like he settled right in um, to those huge shoes left by Aiden Hazard uh, to fill. But, he has been just on fire with um his direct runs and his quick dribbling just in and out of players and you know taking shots on and setting up other assists and all that it's It's been really good to watch and I'm so excited to see uh if if that will translate to any success for the u s national team in the coming years
0: I love how you uh you said frank like you know he know it. <laughs>
2: We go way back. Yeah. (laughs) It's just weird. He's still a player in my head, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It's,
1: I don't know. It it just seems like Pulisic has really tried, like figured it out in terms of being a lot more direct. And it seems like he feels like he deserves to be on the field and has that confidence now in comparison to before where it seemed like he was being a little bit more deferential on the field and not being like not and 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 being afraid to almost make a mistake in in comparison where he wasn't given that confidence yet so that he didn't want to upset players or didn't want by like taking guys one on one. Um, so it's a real positive to see the directness that he's playing with um, at this point. And he's scoring goals. Um, he's, you know, assist, he set up the set up the goal today uh, to Giroud. So like he's really been a huge part of Chelsea's success. Um, I just hope he doesn't get lost in, in the fray of like all these guys that Chelsea's bringing in with Werner, with Zayic. Uh They still have hudson Adoy. Um, him, Williams, a question mark as to whether or not he comes back. Uh, Tammy Abraham's there. So they, they have a ton of guys to pick and choose from in terms of who their starting options will be going, moving forward. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening with Pulisic, but I'm con- wishing for continued success for him, um, as well. And they have a young squad, like, they have a ridiculously yeah. young squad. Um, which in hindsight, like the transfer ban and all that type of stuff, don't you think it worked out for them in terms of moving up, moving for the future? This kind of reminds me of like a Manchester United team where they like build with like their young players, uh, maybe not buying a lot of their players, but like in terms of
2: building through their youth. Yeah, I mean, I think for a band like that, it came at almost a perfect time because of all the transition that was happening anyway Um, throughout this with new management coming in and um, some of the older players leaving. Um, So yeah, I think they're going to be really competitive next year. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if the guys like Pedro and Willian, if they stick around um, to sort of carry over some of that Um, leadership kind of mentality in the locker room, or, or if they'll just, you know, move on and, and um, leave it to the, to the younger guard to just sort of pave their own way. Um, But I definitely think they're going to be, they're going to be dangerous next year. And I think Pulisic is going to lock down that left wing um, and make that his own. Totally agree. So, kind of moving forward and looking at some
1: of the other squads. So we kind of talked about the top four um, and Manchester United, Leicester city, Chelsea's prospects of possibly uh, uh, reaching the top four, getting those last two spots. The two teams that I kind of wanted to shift to, and I don't know if you guys have anything much to say about them, have been the two teams that have historically in, in recent years well Arsenal's kind of struggled recently but you know Tottenham had before this season had been pretty comfortably in the top 4 um for the past 3 years or so under Pochettino these two teams have really struggled this year um had made um coaching changes in the middle of the season are how do you feel about these two teams moving forward. They're currently sitting eighth and ninth. They played in the London Derby uh, this past weekend. Um, Son, Son Ming scored a goal, uh, which was exciting to see. I, I was watching the game with my grandpa and anything Korea uh, um, excites him. So that was really cool to see his reaction to the game. But how do you feel about those two teams who are traditionally at close to competing for a top four European spot Champions League spot and are kind of out of it this year are they is this a sign of more things to come for them or is this something that you could kind of write off um, as a bad season and do you ultimately trust the two managers that are leading these squads in Mourinho and uh, Mikel Arteta for uh,
2: Arsenal? been on uh, Spurs, because I have a lot of thoughts on Spurs. Um, it's well documented that I am not a fan of Mourinho, um, and I had to sort of learn how to live with that while he was with United. Um, but, oh my God, like, we're talking about Spurs. They made it to the Champions League final last year. Like, what? If you were to tell someone that who to just watch some of their games since Mourinho took over or since the restart even, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I think they're in real trouble um, of of not, you know, getting back into the top four next year even. Um, It just looks like some of that negativity that's associated with the modern Mourinho is totally creeping in. Things like you've got your star center forward having more touches defending in his own box been attacking in Kane and just seeming to try to play for a one niller when you're not even trying to go forward and you're just defending the whole game and the squad is is aging and disjointed it doesn't seem like there's a real leader it, it's just classic um, you know like I said modern Mourinho. like I think he's so far past his glory days and now his past three clubs it's just blown up in his face what's going to happen here um yeah I don't know I don't think that's going to end well.
1: Hedjun, do you have any thoughts on uh Tottenham kind of on this topic um so I mean like the past game they ended up beating Arsenal and it kind of did remind me of like the classic Mourinho game that Ended up working out where it really hasn't worked out for them this past season, Uh, but it worked out to kind of like how Mourinho really sees football. Hedron, do you have any thoughts on like whether or not Tottenham, who is who is like the favorite team of one of our good friends, TK? Uh,
0: I mean, one thing that I have to bring up is the fact that Kane was injured. Ali was injured. Uh, they've sent away Ericsson. They had a new manager, uh, your was out of the, out of it for a while. So there were a lot of things that a lot of variables at play. Right. And if we look at the results, we are like, oh, damn, like w- what's going on with Tottenham, but there, uh, if you look closely that th- there were a lot of things that went wrong for them this season. So. And they, they did have a couple of signings that really didn't pan out. Um, so may, I have no doubt that they will be able to turn it around next season um, with the right signings, especially in the defense area. They need to fortify that for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the bigger problem here is with Arsenal where their entire squad just seems very disjointed. Um, they have center backs that are laughable, um, you know, and and yeah, it's just it's just. Seems, I mean, I believe in Arteta, right? Like he's he seems like a capable. He was a very good player. He seems like a pretty. He seemed like a pretty capable coach at Man City and I have no doubt that he will succeed at Arsenal. It's just not with this squad at all. Yeah.
2: Hey, I, yeah, with, sorry. Think, go ahead, Tyler. With, with, with Arsenal, I, I think it's a lot simpler. I think it's just their defense. Like, Mustafi, David Luiz, like, it, just get some center backs, and that's a half-decent squad. <laughs> You've got Arteta, who spent all those years under Pep, so you know that he's got, you know, that good – coaching and just by sheer osmosis um and as you you mentioned you now he's obviously a great player um but they look so bad at the back it's just like you said it's laughable laughable um it's just embarrassing so it it is for that reason though where i feel like it's more um the problems are more isolated for arsenal and for spurs like i i would bet money that they don't make the top four next year or Arsenal, I'm not saying that they will, but I mean I I feel like if they get if they get um new center backs they're they're gonna finish better than Spurs.
1: Yeah, it's it's kinda interesting that you guys are are saying the things that you're saying because you know, with Tottenham, like I I do agree with you guys that they're and maybe this is a lot of the Mourinho like post uh I don't know, like PTSD kind of creeping in um like Mourinho he's really known to to really play defensively lately and like that's just his mentality and kind of hit on the counter-attack and the way this Tottenham team is set up you kind of think like especially the counter-attacking part of it sets up pretty decently for for them with the way Son plays um Kane can be pretty effective on the counter as well carrying the ball up himself. Um they they ended up signing Bergwijn who's extremely quick, extremely fast for them. Like I I think it's really dependent on some of the transfer moves that they make like Hedgen kind of mentioned and whether or not they shore up uh the center of that midfield and what and whether or not they can get guys that really clean up that center midfield. Like and was supposed to be that guy, but he doesn't seem like he's panning out there um at all. And it's it, i I'm just curious to see like what ends up happening with this team. The and and with Arsenal, my thinking with Arsenal is like their their center backs are just awful, like Tyler, like you were saying. Like, David David, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his David Luiz, he's really struggled um, just in terms of the way he, I don't even think he's really a center back. I don't even think he wants to play center back, to be honest. <laughs> like, he, it seems like he wants to be, like, a center midfielder. Or, like, like if On you play the played other him, team. <laughs> exactly. Like, just the way he's, like, positioned himself defensively, it doesn't seem like... He really has the discipline to play center back for them. It just seems like they need wholesale changes on that back line because a lot of their attacking options are so enticing with um, Aubameyang, Lacazette, um, Nicholas Pepe, um, uh, Bakari Saka, who's looked really, really good for them. Um, the young kid um, who, who they ended up signing signing to extension. So I, I just think they need a couple, like, really solid center backs um, to really shore up that squad, because if they can do that, then I, I would feel a little bit more confident in them moving forward. Um, but, yeah, because their attacking options are just extremely enticing. Um, and those three, the guys that I mentioned, compete with any of the f- three attacking options uh throughout the Premier League. So that's definitely not the problem. There's a lot of like chatter as to whether or not Aubameyang wants to stick around um at Arsenal just because I believe his contract is coming up and uh they're not going to be playing Champions League football. So there's a lot of questions as to whether or not some of these guys are going to be sticking around to um to kind of see this project out. And that's always the worry for teams like Tottenham or for, for teams like Arsenal that are, that have like one bad season. Um, They end up like most top players want to play champions league football. They want to get to the highest heights um, in soccer that when a team finishes in eighth and ninth, they won't have any European competitions to play in and that'll force them to look at other squads, so that's that's like one of the reasons as to why Champions League football as a whole is so important um kind of turning it back to
2: the top four and how important that race is, yeah, I mean, I just want to say in agree in agreement in agreement with you guys that son is definitely the shining star over there in my opinion at Spurs right now. Um
1: he's so he's good. Been,
2: yeah, he's been great to watch. He always has been. Um I I don't know. I hope he gets somewhere else at this point. I just I I'm very anti Mourinho and I feel like it, that they're about to implode in, in next season. <laughs> I'd welcome him at Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bet
2: you would. Yeah. Um yeah that would be Speaking amazing. of which yeah what's the transfer talk for Liverpool? Um Are you guys just going to stick with this squad for the foreseeable future? So
1: it's kind of interesting. Like I've been like, you know, enjoying life as, as, as a champion. Um, And it's really, it's, it's really interesting the way I've kind of talked pretty candidly to you guys in private, in our private conversations about how I see Liverpool performing next year and that I don't really foresee them like, uh, defending their title at all, even though they've had this two-year stretch that's pretty unfathomable to think about, um, putting up 97 points last year and then putting up, like, uh, 93 points with three games to go. It's, it's just pretty amazing to think about how good this team has looked over the past two years, but my my thinking is I, I just don't know how motivated this team will be going into next year just because they've won pretty much everything that there is to win in soccer other than you know there there really isn't anything else for them to do other than like continue on and possibly try to build a dynasty and like build sustained success that we saw with Manchester United squads when Sir Alex Ferguson was there. Um, there's, there's a lot of talk about, um, trying to freshen up the squad. So there's kind of that edge. So some of these players don't get too complacent as to, um, having their spot. Um, I think one of the positions that, could be upgraded is possibly center midfield. There's a lot of options at center midfield for Liverpool. Uh they just don't have like I would say the star player like maybe a uh, Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City or you know the way Bruno Fernandes um or Paul Pogba uh have been playing for Manchester United. They don't really have really like that star center midfield. They have they have really solid center midfielders. Jordan Henderson's been pretty good. And that's been like a huge turnaround for me in terms of my opinion on him as to where I saw him a couple months ago or like a couple years ago. Um, But that could possibly be a position that they upgrade. And if Real Madrid just kind of like offers a shit ton for Sadio Mane, Um, which is the rumor that's been going around. I could also see them possibly bring in a winger to replace him. Um, And I'm not exactly sure who that winger would be. But other than that, like, I am pretty happy with the way the squad looks. Um, And even, and and this team is like right in their prime. They, They don't have any like super old players. Um, other than James Milner, who gets rotated, uh, fairly. But they regularly. are getting up
2: there, though. I mean, right, it's not right. A young the,
1: team. Right. It's definitely not a young team. They're like clearly in their prime. So if they're gonna win, they gotta win now. There's no like did, three to did. five, three to five, right, three to five years down the line because most of those players will all be in their early to mid thirties. So there definitely needs to be like um a couple pl- younger players that they need to bring in to freshen up the squad and to bring some energy and life to keep things interesting going into next season. But I don't feel super positive in terms of them defending their Premier League title because, you know, look at just the way it's gone over the past five to ten years or so and the turnover in terms of who wins the, the Premier League title. Um you know, Lester even ended up sneaking in there for that magical season. So it just kind of shows the depth of this league and how
2: competitive it is. Yeah. The, the front three of Mane from, Sala, they're all 28 already. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Henderson's 30, looks like Wijnaldum's 29. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was definitely the year to do it, like you said, but I don't, I don't see this same group um, putting that same level of output um, out again next season without, without a couple of younger additions to start transitioning. But, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of nice that they, you know, the really, a really amazing squad. And I have to admit that. Um, so it's nice for them that they got their champions league. They got their premier league. And now I hope it's another 30 years before before the next one.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's kind of amazing that you said
2: they're 28
1: and they're getting up there, of course, in their soccer age, because all three of us are, oh, yeah. <laughs> are, are, are that age. So it's like it's just kind of mind boggling to think about that we need to be. Re, you know, re-upping with younger players than us now. It's true though, uh,
0: which is which is
1: true and which is crazy, and that this is like their, their athletic peak around age twenty eight or so. Um, yeah, Tyler, I I I do agree with you. Like, it's it's been an amazing team to watch. Um, they just the way they've fit has been really awesome to to see them play, and what's been amazing about this squad is like, just look at the players and where they've come from other than like the big money moves to kind of like really round out the squad and Van Dyke and Allison. Before that, this team was not like anything to write home about or like there weren't many players that you would say would have been like, Ooh, like I'm going to, I would take that player gladly. Like, Firmino comes from Hoffenheim. Salah comes from Roma. Like, Mane came from Southampton. Half our squad's from Southampton. So, like, it's it's like none of these players were, like, these name-brand players that were already established when they came into Liverpool. What's so amazing about this squad is that they've really developed under Jurgen Klopp, and I think that's, the person that gets this amazing amount of credit um, because without Klopp, like you saw the end product of what it looked like under like average premier average to good premier league managers um, under Brendan Rodgers, Like, you know, they came in second that one year, but they really struggled in some other, other seasons as well. So, you just kind of saw the transformation of this team once Klopp really got his teeth um, into to how he really wanted this team to play. And for that, I am eternally grateful to Jurgen Klopp for changing the culture of Liverpool and the way they've really operated throughout these past five years. Um, there's a lot of news recently that Klopp has kind of stated that he wants to go back to Germany, Germany by the end of his contract in 2024. So um, if that holds true, I only have a couple more years to enjoy uh, of Jurgen Klopp football running around on the sidelines. So it's um, the season was magical for me as a Liverpool fan. Anything that you wanted to add in, uh, Hedgin?
0: Do I have anything good to say uh, about <laughs> I- Liverpool? can you just do it
1: <laughs> once for me because i want to hear it and i can you know keep this recording forever
0: uh no <laughs> they played know, okay they played okay um yeah they're all right you know yeah you lose some, you win some and they will just happen to win some more
1: yeah i i think that was like I think that was the the one thing that I took from this team, that a lot of these players were developed under Klopp. Um, I don't know if you had anything to add to that, Tyler.
2: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point, to be fair. Like you said, these weren't big name signings coming in, um, which, to to be fair, was, I think that's part of what United struggled with in the years after Sir Alex. They tried to just add some big names and think everything would be fine, but um, in recent times under Ole, I think we've done a little bit more of, of kind of what, um, what Klopp has been able to do so well. But um, I did want to just ask, you know, realistically, quick question. Yeah. I was looking at, at the same information that you're talking about, about Klopp staying until 2024, do you think they could win another title before Klopp leaves? I say, honestly, I don't think so. <laughs> Hmm. the premier league not not any of the cups or anything right right. The premier league title
1: i think they can be competitive in one one more <laughs> okay if that makes so like sure? I'm not, yeah. like i'm not overly optimistic so next year i think is kind of like i'm hoping for top 4 basically okay like yeah. very low expectations um in comparison to what i had for this season um But if they're competitive and in the race for another one, that's all I can really ask for um, in the next three to four seasons. If that ends up happening, I'm going to be extremely excited because look at all the motivated motivated teams that are going to be out gunning for Liverpool's number next year. Man City's always going to be there pumping money into the squad. Chelsea's already pumped money into the squad. And they have a really young, motivated team. Manchester United has looked amazing during this restart, who I think are going to look extremely positive going into next season. And we always have to, you know, kind of count Tottenham and Arsenal um, as those traditional top six uh, powers. So I'd be really happy for top four next year. And if they can, you know, be consistently a top four team in the next four to five years um, before Klopp leaves, like, isn't that the, that's like the goal, I would think, in terms of having sustained success, um, which makes, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the greatest managers, probably the greatest manager in Premier, Premier League history, obviously, and someone like Arsene Wenger, who, like, Although Arsenal fans were extremely upset by him by the end of his tenure, um he just pumped out top four finishes every single year How, even though that was frustrating to them. I'm sure Arsenal fans would be extremely pleased and happy with that type of like success even when teams struggle and don't have it to finish at four you know, fourth at worst. You know, you take that every year if, you're, if your team isn't, like, ext- like, super competitive.
2: Yeah. I guess I just see a little bit of a difference between, like, the Sir Alex um, era of United where it was, like, almost like a dynasty of every year they expected to challenge for the title. Right. I mean, I don't see anything like that happening over the next, you know, remaining years of Klopp's contract with this squad. I think this was sort of, like, they finally hit the peak and now they can kind of relax.
1: Yeah. And I I don't,
2: I I don't get that same sense of like, let's go do it again and hold it for the next four years in a row. You know?
1: Yeah. I I get
2: there's a lot of other things that have changed since then, but right. Right. Yeah. I I do agree with that in, in some sentiments
1: just because like, it's the first time in 30 years for this to happen (laughs) so that there's like, all right, like you don't want to like count your chickens before they hatch type of thing. Um, uh, like it's just kind of, it's like the Liverpool fans have just been so excited to have one, like to even think about two, three, four, like to even <laughs> thinking that, that mindset or with those regards takes like that cultural shift, um, yeah. which I'm sure is going to happen, you know, next year when inevitably they have more than two losses in a season and, fans will be like, this is not, like, acceptable. And I think once that higher standard is set in place, that's when, you know, ultimately clubs start to grow and their influence starts to grow um, on the world stage. Now, one of the things that does concern me a little bit about this Liverpool squad is that the Fenway group – and is is the owner of liverpool and they haven't really shown a propensity to spend huge huge money um on this liverpool team um just because it seems like for them a secondary asset or a secondary priority to them in comparison to obviously the boston red sox so i i I'm curious to see if they spend the requisite amount of resources that need to happen for a team to sustain top four success. And that's where I my hands kind of go up in the air. And I'm very dubious
2: as to whether or not that actually ends up happening. All right, fair enough. Sounds like a reasonable response, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: very realistic. But I am definitely
2: not going the
1: LeBron James
2: when he go went to
1: the Miami Heat and was like, not one, not two, not three, not four, but we're getting five, six. Seven. You know, like all those.
2: Right. I, I don't really
1: see that happening at all. So, um, even though he's also a part owner of your club. So. That, that is true. So yeah, yeah,
2: that is one. He might area. be, he might be bringing those vibes over to Anfield. And I don't know. <laughs> I I know that's
1: like one area that me and LeBron align in as, as <laughs>
2: Liverpool supporters.
1: Um, one of the things that I did kind of want to talk about closing out the podcast, um, as we look around world football and the state of, world football and how covid has really affected um the way sports have been played and conducted throughout
0: the the year
1: and with the shutdown the restarts of all these sports leagues um i've just been really impressed with how the premier league has kind of conducted themselves um over the past you know month and a half or so since the restart or i guess month or so since the restart um, and how that they've, how they've been able to come up with a plan for this r- restart and the way all these changing circumstances have allowed creativity to come in with the water breaks, with the five, five substitutions, um, to allow this season to finish, um, to kind of see a glimmer of joy and hope. Uh, amidst all of the things that are happening and um it's it's a huge and stark contrast in comparison to the MLS and what's ended up happening there where whole teams are being basically taken out of this restart tournament because uh put, players are getting still getting in, infected by uh coronavirus um and that has kind of caused concern as to whether or not sports should be coming back in the States. So do you guys have any reactions in terms of the way the premier league has been conducted over the past couple of weeks, uh, since the restart?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm just so grateful to have the premier league back. Um, such a great part of, you know, all of our lives who watch it religiously. Um, but I think we also need to give a lot of credit to the Bundesliga for kind of oh, yeah. way um, back. Uh, Cause they had, you know, several game weeks um, successfully completed before the premier league even came back. So I think, um, I think they were kind of a leader in the space. Um, and I honestly don't even know how the premier league is doing so well. Like I just like knock on wood, but I, I think that, seeing things like obviously the u.s is handling things very differently in general but seeing what's happening with the mls tournament um with so many cases um it just makes me appreciate even more all the steps that the premier league has taken to 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 bring the game back in a safe way totally agree
0: yeah
1: Hedrin, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that
0: Not really. I mean, I think Tyler said it, said it pretty well. Um, I, I do think adding in the audience noise, I thought I will be pretty bothered by it, but it just makes everything feel so, so much more natural that way. Hmm, um, interesting. Having, having the crowd noise being piped in, um, At first, I I was, like, really excited to hear what the coaches were yelling and what the players were yelling, but I don't know. It's just nice to have – it just seems normal, and it's nice to have that sense of normalcy, at least in some aspects of our lives. Um, So maybe that's something that, you know, like uh, NBA or – uh even MLS can try to incorporate. I don't I don't know if that's in the works or not, but
1: right. And I believe uh, the NBA is kind of looking into that with possibly u- utilizing like some of the two K stuff um to kind of pump some music in. So I think that'll be really interesting as well. Um yeah. as to whether yeah. that happens.
0: And I, I thought it was pretty clever of them to um put some sponsorships like on the stands. You know when they covered it up for like added revenue um I think it's good for the clubs. I think it's good for um, these sponsors and yeah hopefully hopefully things go back to normal soon, you know abroad and and especially over here,
1: yeah, yeah totally agree um yeah, it's uh nothing like uh the Korean sex doll thing that ended up happening um. <laughs> Um, Abroad in the the K League Um, So Before we end up Before I end up letting you guys go There's one really important matter um, Not as important as uh, Obviously the COVID stuff But an important personal matter That we All three of us need to discuss It's obviously Fantasy Premier League Um, So Tyler (laughs) has been Killing it this year um, I, I haven't seen his latest ranking, but he was in the top, I believe, ten thousand for a while. I'm not sure if he's still there. Are you still in the top ten k, Tyler?
2: No, I dropped a little bit over the past few weeks, but I'm still in the top 0.25 percent of the world. So see, not look terrible. at that math. There. <laughs> look at that math
1: there. Um yeah, and I, I'm having a pretty decent season trying to fight for third in our league um this year where third place gets gets money. So that is really exciting and I'm in a in a two way or three way battle for third right now, uh with our with our friend Sam Gooshammer and uh Sam Chang, both Sam's. So both of them oh, it's like yeah, um are really like nipping at my heels uh, for that third place squad. Um, so it'll be really exciting to see how those last three weeks, um, of the premier league end up playing out, um, and how they affect the fantasy premier league season. Tyler Hedjun, Are there any players that you have suggestions in terms of that? You guys are looking out for, um, in the last couple weeks to make an impact.
2: Yeah, so um I actually used my second wild card this game week because I still had it. Um and I was just focusing on basically making a team that I could also use the bench boost with, which I also still have. Um and what I was really looking at is the the teams um kind of like team form and fixtures since they're only three rounds of games left, it's pretty easy to narrow down, you know, the teams that have good matchups versus the the teams that have been really performing poorly. And, you know, so you're looking for things like going up against Bournemouth or Norwich and, you know, anything could happen. Like we saw Bournemouth going crazy and and putting four paths left there. But, but generally I think you should just be focusing on, you know, the teams that are in form, like United and city um, and, and when they match up against the teams that are struggling, and it's as simple as that, really. It's an easy game. <laughs> See, he
0: gave me enough to know where he
1: was going, but not enough to to really uh, implement into my squad. Just, I think, exactly the right strategy <laughs> for it, from uh, Tyler's point of view. Had you are there any players from your point of view that you're looking towards to kind of pop in the next three weeks? Um. Or are are you have you kind of turned your brain off because you're you're resigned yeah. to where you're at
0: right now? Yeah, I'm sitting smack <laughs> right on the table. Uh, I don't foresee even breaking top five. So yeah, it's a lost season for me. Don't take any advice from me this season. Yeah.
1: So we might have to start an offshoot podcast where we just bring on Tyler for weekly um, fantasy uh, Premier League advice with the way he's played this year. Um, And just also um, how popular it's been getting over the past couple of years uh, worldwide. So maybe we can get hit some, hit some quality, uh, high numbers um, on a new podcast offshoot with Tyler um, and his fantasy Premier League advice.
2: So if I get anyway, back in the top 10K, then let's do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that it would be a requirement at that point if that ended up happening.
2: So I'm, I'm working for it.
1: Yeah. So we're all cheering Tyler on because he's so far ahead of us that it real. it's like not even realistic that we can catch him at this point. So um tyler hedging thank you guys for coming back onto the podcast letting me brag a little bit about liverpool how sweet that is to kind of have that victory um and your always in-depth analysis on manchester united so guys thanks again for coming on to the podcast and you guys are always welcome to come back on whenever you guys want
0: Dance girl, but if you wanna dance,
2: girl, just give me two drinks and I'll be busting out the best moves you're ever gonna see. Girl, watch me, nay, nay.